0: morning, because we know that God's presence is with us, we believe that God's Holy Spirit is here, Uh, Pastor Donna and I wanted to just create a little bit of space for us. We've been having a, a liturgy where we pause during this time of Lent. And today we wanted to create just a little bit of space to just recognize before God and each other the anguish and the pain and the fear facing some of our Asian American brothers and sisters right now. There has been so many thousands of hate crimes this last year. And those are just the ones that are actually getting reported. And this is our community. This is our brothers and sisters. And I have been in in touch with many people, including many Christian Asian American leaders and just said, what what would it look like? And they said, could you just pray for us? Could you hold space for us? Could there be some space for for lamenting and repenting of the things that we all participate in that create a space where anyone would be dehumanized? And so I, I talked with one friend and I wanted to share what she shared. She said. My eyes are swollen from crying. My friends and their children have been yelled at, have been called names. I fear for my elderly parents, for my daughter, and for myself. And so I wanna say to those of you who are a part of the Asian American community, we see you, our hearts break with you, and we wanna figure out how to be people who stand with you and fight for you and with you. And we know we don't always know how to do that, but we want to. And anytime anybody is not treated as image bearers of God, that is evil, that is inexcusable. And we're so sorry that that's an experience that people are having. And so the rest of us, we wanna discern how can we be people who figure out how to step into this space and to fight for people who are understandably hurting and probably understandably angry right now, given everything that's happened. And at Mill City, our members have discerned a three-step approach to responding to crises like these and things that we've experienced in this broken world. We Together, figure out how do we repent, how do we lament, and how do we take action? Repenting or confessing the ways that we're all a part of unjust systems and our own things in our own heart. Figuring out how to do that. Lamenting, coming to God in anguish and saying, God, we cry out on behalf of people who are hurting. And so in a little bit, Pastor Donna is going to lead us through repenting and lamenting together in our liturgy together. But I did want to share in the idea of action I asked some Asian American leaders, what actions would you love to see in light of the the incidents that have happened this last year? And I'm just gonna share a few things with you. Consider this, the leaders asked that you would believe us when we say we've experienced overt racism in our own neighborhoods and backyards. They asked, would you pause when you hear the news of incidents like this and, and choose to empathize with how we're feeling before the details are even known? Would you take steps to learn about Asian American history? Because there's so many wonderful resources out there, especially ethnic groups in your community. And then they said to speak up when you hear even vague anti-Asian sentiments. And finally, consider tangible ways to support your AAPI friends with gift cards or meals or other acts of service, and maybe ask God how you might be able to be specific encouragement to them. So we ask that you'd consider these specific actions that are invited by the Asian American community as we have this time of of repenting and lamenting and asking God to hear our
1: cries. Pastor Donna. These next Sundays leading up to Easter are part of the Lenten season. For those who follow Jesus, Lent is traditionally a time of focused intentionality as we prepare our hearts to reflect on Jesus' death and resurrection. Lent involves the practice of surrender, letting go of what many dis- may distract us from the hope we have and holding on to Jesus. Each Sunday leading up to Easter, we're going to take time to surrender And remember, through song and prayer, let's pray. God of mercy, we come to you confessing that we have not always honored the image of God in others and even in ourselves. The Asian American community is suffering and we confess that at times we choose apathy over empathy defensiveness rather than coming to the defense of those who are oppressed. We repent of what we have done and we have left what we have left undone that holds us back from joining your work of justice and making wrong things right. We ask for your mercy and we thank you for all you have done for us so that we may be healed of brokenness. We surrender as we remember. Christ has died Christ is risen, Christ will come again. God of justice, we bring to you our lamentations, our cries of sadness, anger, and pain. We specifically lament the suffering inflicted on the Asian American community this past year and the horrific murders of six Asian women and two others this last week. God, we beg you to comfort their families. Our hearts are broken for how this and other crimes bring deep fear to so many. God, lead us in how we should join you in making wrong things right. Help us to hold on to your wisdom and leadership as we take action to love our neighbor as ourselves. We hold on and remember Christ has died and Christ is risen Christ will come again
2: Come on that one more time Christ has died and Christ is risen
0: Christ will come Um, So, okay, if you are new with us, or if you've been with us just a little while, this entire year, what we are doing is we're looking at the big story of God, what we also refer to sometimes as the meta-narrative. That's kind of the technological term for it. With the kids, we call it the big God story. That's how I like to talk about it, the big God story. And we've been talking about this big story because we believe that if you understand the big God story, then it helps us understand our role in the story now. As we are people who are joining in what God is doing in the work of redemption in the world and being a part of making wrong things right and and seeing people come to know Jesus, this is part of our role in the story. And so as we understand God's big story, we think it helps us to understand our role specifically in that story. And the way that we've been going through each of, of the parts of the big story is actually by genre or type of literature that's in the Bible. We've talked about how there's actually a lot of different genres in the Bible. And right now we're actually in the law genre, the law genre. And I would suggest that this genre is one of the trickiest ones for us because it's so different than any type of genre that we have today. And even trickier, it's important that we don't think about what laws might mean to us in our context today because that can actually throw us off because it would, it would cause us to kind of misunderstand the genre. As Adobe talked about last week, when we think of law, we think of punishment and crime and courtrooms and lawyers and judges, and that's not bad, but that's pretty different than what the law genre was written thousands of years ago that we have in our scriptures today. And so I am going to have our friends from the Bible Project I always tell you they're not technically my friends, but I'm actually working on this. Stephanie Kaihai knows I'm working on this. I am going to become friends with the Bible Project people, and then we will be able to say they are our friends. So let's see how they talk about this kind of tricky genre in the Bible. Go ahead.
3: If you start reading the Bible from the beginning, you'll get about halfway through the second book, Exodus, and you'll come to a bunch of ancient laws.
2: Thou shalt do this, thou
3: shalt not do that. Now these laws are all written in the literary style we call Prose
2: Discourse.
3: And they're found all over the 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th books of the Bible. There's over 600 laws.
2: And since reading ancient law code isn't something you and your friends do a lot, odds are you're going to struggle. So, let's talk about how to read the law in the Bible. So the first thing to remember is that the
3: Bible is not a behavior manual with a complete list of what to do and not to do to make God happy.
2: Right, the Bible is an epic narrative. But in the story, God does tell people what to do.
3: For sure. The story begins with God's plan to rule the world through humans who will trust him and live by his wisdom. And here we find the first divine command in the Bible. Don't eat from the tree of knowing good and
2: evil because the day you do,
3: You will die. But the humans take the authority to know and define good and evil for themselves. And it is not good. It leads to a world of violence and death and they are exiled from the garden.
2: Okay, so this was the first law in the Bible? Well, it is the first
3: divine command. And it invites people to trust God and live by his wisdom. And so, while it is not part of the laws given to Israel, it does foreshadow them. Because those too are invitations to trust God's wisdom.
2: So, when do the laws of Israel come?
3: Okay, here's the story. Israel is enslaved in Egypt, so God saves them and then invites them into a covenant relationship, like a marriage. And the laws make up the terms of that covenant.
2: And so, do we get a catalog of all these laws that God gave Israel? Actually, no,
3: we don't get all of the laws, only examples. And these have been strategically placed in between stories about how Israel keeps violating the laws.
2: Ah, so I'm supposed to see that Israel's no different than the humans in the garden. They don't trust God or, or live by his wisdom.
3: Right, and so it leads to another round of tragedy, violence, and death. And it ends in exile. And so while the laws are good and show God's wisdom, they also
2: expose Israel's inability to be God's faithful partners. I'm following, but when I read the laws, I find a lot of strange stuff. Like, not allowing clothing to be made of two different fabrics. Like, how does that show God's wisdom? Okay, so it's important
3: to realize that many of these laws are ancient ritual symbols that set Israel apart, that is, made them holy. So some laws made Israel distinct from neighboring nations, while other laws kept them away from things that in their culture symbolized death, disease, and moral corruption.
2: Okay, but what about all of the
3: ritual killing of animals? Sacrifices were also ritual symbols that connected people to God. Since you, a mortal, can't ascend up to God's presence in the heavenly temple, a blameless animal that was offered could go up in your place,
2: covering for your failures so you can know you're accepted by God. I see. But not all of the laws are ancient rituals. Some of them are just about being a good person and treating others well. Well, yes, but these laws aren't just about being good. They're about justice, which
3: is a big deal to God. On the first page of the Bible, we learn that every human is made in God's image and is worthy of dignity. And these laws apply that ideal in Israel's day. In fact, these laws still underlie many of the concepts of justice and equality that we take for granted today. But some of the laws don't seem just, like laws that allow for slavery. Well, if you look at those laws in their ancient cultural context, you'll see that God's working with Israel as he finds them, pushing them towards justice. So slavery isn't abolished, but it is undermined. For example, Israel was supposed to reenact the Exodus liberation by releasing slaves and forgiving all debts every seven years. This was revolutionary in the ancient world. All right.
0: Okay, we're going to stop there. There's, there's even more of that video and so many more. Um, but my friend Tim... From the Bible Project, he said something interesting. He said that the law was an invitation to trust God's wisdom. An invitation to trust God's wisdom. Now, when I read through Leviticus, it doesn't always seem like that. And that's because, I mean, it seems confusing to me a little bit, I'll be honest. And the reason is, is as Tim also said, the ancient cultural context. You heard him say that a few times in the video, the ancient cultural context. The cultures that we live in today that are around us today are so radically different from the ancient cultural context of people who were first listening to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's so different. It's like a world away and we could study for a long time and I, and I encourage that and I love studying to try to get my head around what did this original audience understand when they heard Moses or others read these words for the first time and listen to these words for the first time. Uh, It could take us like a whole life to try to understand how that original audience would have connected with the laws, with the sacrifices in different ways. And we have some great information about that. And it's great to study that, but it's also good for us to just zoom in a little bit and say, okay, okay, even though we could talk about that for a long time, what does this mean for us today? How did the people then experience something And how does that help us understand our experience today? That's the the hermeneutical process, how we can understand what it means for us today. And that's why we're having this conversation, God makes a way. God makes a way, this conversation around the law genre. We're looking at these four major sacrifices or offerings that Israel was supposed to make in order to stay connected to God and to show God that they trusted God's wisdom. In the video, Tim said, sacrifices were ritual symbols that connected people to God. Sacrifices were ritual symbols that connected people to God. Now, I'm sure you will all agree with me that the idea of burning animals as a ritual pleasing to God is really far away from our cultural context. At at least it is for me. But think of it this way. The sacrifices were how God made a way for the people. God has always made a way for humans to stay in relationship with God. No matter how hard humans made that, God has always made a way for humans to stay in relationship with God. Look at this slide I wanna show you that shows these four major sacrifices or offerings that we see primarily in the book of Leviticus and see how God is making a way through these four things. The burnt offering, God makes a way for humans to show that they were all in, giving their whole life to God. And Adobe preached about this last week, about how God made a way for humans to be able to completely completely give themselves to God. The purification offering, what we're going to talk about today, God makes a way for humans to be holy and forgiven, completely forgiven. The reparation offering, God makes a way for relationships to be repaired and reconciled. The fellowship offering, God makes a way for humans to be in a loving relationship with God. So these are these four very prominent, anyone at that time would have understood that these were very important rituals as was described. And while I think it's pretty difficult to resonate with the concept of ritual sacrifice, I think most of us can resonate with the idea of wanting these things, of wanting the ability to figure out how to give our whole life to God. Wanting to be holy, wanting to be forgiven. We can resonate with needing relationships repaired and reconciled, can't we? We can resonate with wanting to have ultimately this loving relationship with a God who loves us. The people then wanted these things too. And at that time, even though it's hard for us to get our head around it, that was the way that God was making. That was the way that God was making a way for them to experience these important and critical things. Jesus didn't come to abolish these laws and sacrifices. He fulfilled them. Jesus made that very clear. If you have a Bible, you can look at Matthew 5. There's a, a part of this famous Sermon on the Mount that some of us have, have read before where Jesus is speaking to the people who would be very familiar with the law genre, much more familiar with it than we are. And this is what he says, let me read it for you. Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. In the midst of the things that Jesus is saying to the people, he says, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law "'or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Until everything is accomplished. As we approach Easter, one of the things we're often talking about is how much Jesus accomplished on the cross. His death and resurrection changed the trajectory of humanity. And and it is a part of what it meant for him to fulfill these laws and to fulfill these sacrifices that we're talking about. Jesus conquered death, Jesus conquered brokenness in a way that no other animal or human, for that matter, could possibly do it. God made a way for Jesus, through Jesus, for us to be all in, for us to be forgiven, for us to be reconciled to other people, and most importantly, for us to be in a loving relationship with God. Jesus was how God made that way. And so when we're thinking about the, the context that people were listening to this Leviticus in the first place, they were thinking about how is God gonna make a way? Just like now here we are saying, God, you have made a way through Jesus for us. And the sacrifices were how God was making a way then. So last week, Adobe talked about the burnt sacrifice and challenged us to surrender ourselves completely to God. And today for, for the last little bit of our time, I want us to talk about the second offering or sacrifice that I listed or the purification offering. Sometimes it's called the sin offering, but many scholars would say it's best to say the purification offering and you'll see why. This is about the power of forgiveness that comes when, like Adobe talked about, when we surrender our lives, what we receive is the power of forgiveness in our lives. So I want you to close your eyes if you're willing and I want you to imagine something. Try to remember a time when someone forgave you for something. Now, I want you to think of a positive experience. I know that humans don't perfectly forgive, so don't go there with the person who you thought forgave and they didn't. Just when you felt really forgiven by another person, maybe a time when you were a kid comes up, maybe a good friend forgave you for something that you did, maybe your spouse, maybe, maybe something you really knew you were wrong and you came and you got that forgiveness. Maybe some of us, I mean, I know people who've said one of the most powerful things is when I have to ask forgiveness for my own kids and they forgive me. So think of an experience where you felt the feeling of being forgiven. Imagine what what it feels like. What does it feel like to be forgiven, truly forgiven, even by other people? Okay, you can open your eyes. I think that truly being forgiven is one of the most powerful experiences we can have in life. And I hope that you've experienced that from other people. But today, as we're talking about what it looks like for God— to make a way, the idea that God made a way for the people of God thousands of years ago to be forgiven was so powerful for them because experiencing forgiveness is one of the most powerful things we can experience. It ultimately gave them the promise in the future with Jesus of complete and total forgiveness through Jesus. And that forgiveness shows the the deep depth of God's loving character, doesn't it? That God wants us to experience that important thing of forgiveness. So let's look at a portion of Leviticus 4 where we see this purification offering described. The book of Leviticus is where we see a lot of these laws described, including these sacrifices. And so if you have a Bible, we're going to look at Leviticus 4. Now, if you were with us last week, Adobe read an entire chapter of Leviticus. Who was there for that? Some of you are like, okay, well, I stayed through most of it. Now, I am not as hardcore as you, Adobe. I'm just going to admit that. So I'm going to read a few verses, so stick with me on it, okay? This is actually a pretty repetitive chapter because when these sacrifices were being done, it was very important that people paid attention to the specifics, okay? And so that's why it's repetitive. So I'm just going to take one snapshot. Leviticus 4, 27 through 31. Listen to me read that, and uh, you can follow along on the screen. Leviticus 4, 27. If any member of the community sins unintentionally, And does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, when they realize their guilt and the sin they have committed becomes known, they must bring their offering for the sin they committed, a female goat without defect. They are to lay their hand on the head of the sin offering and slaughter it in the place of the burnt offering. Then the priest is to take some of the blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Okay, stay with me here. They shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the fellowship offering, and the priest shall burn it on the altar as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, and they will be forgiven. And they will be forgiven. Remember, all of those specifics in there are about how people in that culture would connect to things that are, are safe, things that might not be safe for them. A lot of cultural things are happening there. But I want us to zero in on this word, this last sentence. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them, for the sin they have committed, and they will be forgiven. There's that powerful word, forgiveness. And I want us to look at this word atonement for a second. Because this idea of atonement, it's a little bit deeper than mere forgiveness when somebody actually apologizes, okay? That's important. When you say, I'm sorry, and someone says, I forgive you, big deal, okay? That was what I was talking about. But atonement is even deeper than that because, as you heard at the very beginning, it covers the sins that are even done unintentionally. The things that we might participate in that we don't mean to do unintentionally. So four times in just that chapter of Leviticus 4, it mentions a way for forgiveness for the sins that people did unintentionally. And we see that in our own lives, don't we? I didn't mean to take that pen from the bank, you know? Or worse, <laughs> there's things that happen and we don't mean it. We don't do things, un- we do it unintentionally. Wrongs that we commit against God, against other people, sometimes even against ourselves. where we're not honoring the image of God in ourselves, And sometimes we don't even realize it. And sometimes we don't even have it brought to our attention in the end. Sometimes we talk often here at Mill City about how the systems in the world are very broken. There's personal and individual sin in this world as we know from what God's story tells us, but also the whole world is broken. And so that means all the systems are filled with brokenness and all the different things that we participate in are, are broken. And we want to be a part of changing that and helping see God's kingdom come in that. But in the midst of it, we need to be forgiven daily because we're participating in this all the time. We can't escape some of these systems and these unjust things that are happening all around us. We're kind of like swimming in the brokenness in this world, aren't we? There's some amazing things, but in the midst of it, we're kind of surrounded by the brokenness. And so God is, God is forgiving or atoning or giving forgiveness even for those things that we didn't mean to do, that we didn't even choose to do. And that's the power of God's forgiveness. It covers even the things that we don't know that we're doing that cause us to fall short of God's holiness. Okay, let's talk about holiness for a second. That's not a word I use in my everyday language. Do you, (laughs) talking about people being holy? That concept is super critical here. You heard it in the video too. Earlier I was saying that God's promise of complete and total forgiveness shows the depth of God's loving character and God is a deeply loving God. But God is also a God who is holy. And that means uh, set apart, they said in the video, or utterly unique, the most different and unique. God is so good or so holy that it's, it's dangerous for anything that is not as good to come close to the power of God because that's just how good God is. It's like the, the goodness will just like obliterate the, the things that aren't holy. So God made a way for us to be holy, to be purified is another word, the purification offering, so that we could draw near to God. Think about this for a second, that we could be as though we are free from anything, any of that brokenness that we meant to be a part of or that we didn't mean a part of, that we know about or that we didn't know about, that we get to approach God as if that's not our story. Jesus fulfilled the law so that we too can be as though we are holy and as though we are pure just like God, but not, not because of anything that we did, but by accepting what Jesus has done, Now, this is important here. I want you to listen to this because our own efforts to try to become pure as though it's something that you could achieve, it's super damaging because it's not what God has for us. God knows we can't do it on our own. That's why Jesus did it for us. Some of you might have heard of or experienced what we sometimes refer to as purity culture. Um, I've talked about this before, but it's a label given to the way that the church at times has focused kind of obsessively on this idea of sexual purity. It's a whole thing. We could talk about it for a long time, and I don't want to do that. But I just want to say this. There's a problem when people who are forgiven by Jesus are desperately trying to make their own way to holiness and purity. That's not going to go well. I mean, when we experience God's forgiveness, I hope that this would be true for you too. When I experience the forgiveness of God, I I feel overwhelmed with gratitude. And that makes me want to live like Jesus. That makes me desire to live a life that is set apart and holy. But beware the moment that you think you can achieve holiness or purity on your own effort alone. The power of the Holy Spirit is what helps us live more and more like Jesus but this kind of purity that's talked about here, it's more than just merely talking about sexuality. It's bigger than that. It's about our whole lives. It's our whole lives. We are made in the image of God, which is an incredible thing, but make no mistake, we are nowhere near as incredible as the level of goodness of God, not without Jesus. Yet Jesus made a way for us to approach God as if we were just as pure, just as holy and as good did you just let that sink in for a minute? Jesus made a way for us to approach the most holy and good God, to approach, to come near to the most holy and good God. We can approach the most creative and beautiful and powerful and loving being as though we have not one little blemish, as though we have not one ounce of brokenness, not one little inch of selfishness or greed or lust or hate or jealousy or pride or racism or prejudice or malice. Because we know we have those things in our hearts sometimes, don't we? Yet, because of Jesus, it's as though those things are are washed away downstream of a mighty river. Or the psalmist says, it's as the east is from the west, that's how far God has taken our brokenness and sin from us. It's not how God sees us anymore. Let that sink in for a minute. That's what God chose to do because of the power of forgiveness. I think when, when I read the passage, like I just read, it kind of sounds like a little bit grotesque with all this talk of blood and spreading it on an altar. We're in like a COVID reality. where like, he touched the blood with his finger? Is that what people do? No, that's not good. Now I'm gonna be the first to admit when I think of the idea of blood, it doesn't really connect with forgiveness for me right away. But, but I wanna encourage you to think of it this way. In the ancient culture, ancient sacrifice and blood represented life. And not just, I happen to be breathing today, but life to the full. Brokenness and sin hold us back, right? From living life to the full. Earlier, I mentioned that you could think about how powerful it is to experience forgiveness. But think for just a second about how terrible it feels when you're not forgiven. Don't think about it too long, but when you think about how terrible it is when you're not forgiven, it's like the life is sucked out of you, isn't it? But when you are forgiven, you have a new lease on life. It's like you get to start over. Jesus made a way for us to be totally and completely forgiven. And if we accept that him giving his life can give us our life back, then no more blood needs to be shed. No more lives need to be given for us to be truly and eternally alive. No animals, no special rituals by priests, no more barriers between us and God. We don't even need to be able to know all the things that we need forgiveness for to be totally and completely forgiven. Thank goodness, at least I think. And we can receive all of that forgiveness from God, but it will cost us something. What is it that God wants from us in return? God wants our hearts. Not our perfect sacrifices, God wants our hearts. Not trying to show how hard we're working for purity. God wants our hearts, not our perfect actions of justice or righteousness. Those are good things, but God wants our hearts. That's all that Jesus wants in return, but it's, it's a lot, isn't it? To bring your whole self to Jesus. When we surrender our lives to Jesus as our Savior and our leader, we often talk about We give him our hearts. And Jesus, God wants a relationship with us, but God also has a responsibility for us because now we have an opportunity to live like Jesus, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, not to earn salvation or holiness or purity, but because Jesus has done it all for us, we're set free to join in because we could never do it on our own. We live into our kingdom responsibility not to earn forgiveness, but because of it. So if you have your communion elements ready, some people here, you probably have them. If you have them at home, I want you to just pull them out for a second. Don't don't take the communion elements yet. I want you to just hold them out in front of you. Take the bread, take the juice. Paul's going to bring some over here for me. Thank you, Paul. Now just hold it in front of you for a second. Hold the bread in front of you. Hold this juice out in front of you. And if you don't have it, just imagine it with me, okay? This bread is Jesus' body, this blood is his, his actual blood, this Jesus is saying it's his blood, it's representing this. But please don't go there with the grotesque thought. Where do we need to go? We need to go to life. You're holding on to what represents what Jesus did so that you could have life, as Jesus says in John ten ten, to the full. A life set free to forgive other people, <laughs> to have meaning and purpose and mission, Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed, we can live life to the full, both now and forever with God. When we give our hearts to Jesus and accept the power of forgiveness, it changes our lives, it changes our communities, it changes everything. So, as you hold these elements in front of you, whether you have accepted Jesus' forgiveness before in your life, or maybe this is the first time for some of you to say, I think I really need to accept this forgiveness. Either way, as you hold these elements in front of you, ask yourself, am I living in the power of God's total and complete forgiveness in my life? If you accept that forgiveness, it's yours. If you're still trying to earn it, if you're still trying to achieve it, or you don't really believe you actually are forgiven, maybe maybe that's not true. Perhaps you need to forgive yourself. And I know this is challenging because I'm gonna walk out of here today and I'm still gonna make some mistakes. I'm gonna still need forgiveness, but forgiveness from Jesus is yours. We are set free. When we miss that mark, Jesus' forgiveness is waiting for us already. So when Jesus was with his friends, you can see how powerful it was. He's with them the night before he died and he takes this bread and this, this cup, something that they would have seen all the time. And when he says that this is my body and this is my blood, what would they have thought of? They would have thought of life. They, they knew about everything we just talked about in Leviticus and they would have thought of life and they would have connected with that right away. And so Jesus told them, I want you to do this regularly, which is why we do this every week. Why did he want them to do this regularly? To remember, because I think Jesus knew that they and we would forget the power of forgiveness and would need to be reminded. So as you take the elements today, Give your heart to Jesus. If there's parts of it maybe you've been holding back, it happens to all of us. And accept the power of Jesus' forgiveness and let him give you a new lease on life today. So as you take these elements when you're ready, we're gonna go into this time of worship. And if you're here with us at Quincy, there'll be people over here by the windows who would love to pray for you. And if you're at home, if you would be willing to just email us, prayer at millcitychurch.com, we would love to pray with you and for you in this time. So take these elements when you're ready.